I'm just, I'm ready to burn everything to the ground. All of it. I told Timmy today, I'm like, you know what? I don't think Cersei was necessarily wrong, which is burning everything to the ground and everyone to the ground, just blowing shit up. I mean, it was effective. (laughs) (laughs) Blow everybody up. Cool. I'm down. Sign me up. Hey, Bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's the podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today's tolerable is Laura. And some of you may know that Laura was the very first tolerable on this little old podcast when we talked about Stranger Things Season 3. So we are back in the Upside Down to talk about Season 4, Part 1 of Stranger Things. On Netflix. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Sorry, I... I got to the end of that intro and I was like, this is kind of lame. <laughs> Dustin gives it two thumbs up. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to rewrite any of that, but that's all right. I made it work, I hope. But yeah, welcome back, Laura. Thank you for joining me. And God, it seems like it's been forever since we've been here to talk about Stranger Things. That's because it has two over like almost three years yeah COVID really messed with our schedule yep (laughs) COVID (sighs) but we are back and we are talking about like I said season four part one I really kind of wish they didn't split up the season this way I kind of don't like it but that's only because I'm a brat and I just want I'm very Veruca Salt when it comes to my shows I want it and I want it now so But I don't really have, like, a snappy little spoiler warning or synopsis, but according to the internet, about everyone has seen it so far. But if not, this is your spoiler warning. We will be spoiling the shit out of this first half of season four. We will likely talk about the first three seasons as well. But we'll just get right into it. What do you say? (laughs) What do you think of that? Sounds great. So what were your general thoughts on this season? Well... I was a bit annoyed at first about the split season two, but then then I realized that, you know, this was their compromise to get something out since we've been waiting so long, but also supposedly finish up the end of the season properly and do it justice. So I'm like, fine, as long as those those next couple of episodes are worth the wait, then I will forgive this. But I really enjoyed watching this season. Um, it very quickly turned into, I want to binge watch this. Uh, and I was nervous. I was so nervous because, you know, in the lead up to it, you, those spoiler warnings already started coming out. Like, this has gone real 80s horror. Like, it's gone from a show I could watch with my kids. So maybe I shouldn't watch this with my kids. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the biggest fan of horror mm-hmm. um, in large doses. Like, obviously, I enjoyed the horror aspects of the Batman, as we've discussed. So, but again, when someone comes out and says, I don't know if my kids should watch this anymore. I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I can do this. And then you're like, I have to watch this. I'm like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll just, I'll just turn it on. (laughs) I waited until Felix went to bed just in case. And I was like, Oh, Oh, this isn't so bad. Okay. I can do this. (laughs) And then it got worse. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I enjoyed it so much that I didn't care. And I I don't get to say that about horror very often. 
Right on. Yeah, no, I I love it. And I completely agree. I think I even told like my oldest Ross because he and I never like he never finished season three because it got kind of spooky. I think once the mind flare got Billy and all of that, like he uh. moved the fuck out of there. And I was like, I'm like, oh, but season four, part one is so good. I was like, but it is, it is proper scary. And I would agree that season one definitely feels more older kid friendly, kid friendly, you know, in a sense, but not so much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Watching it after Felix went to bed was the right call. And I I did let my daughter watch it. Who's 12 going on 13. Mm -hmm. And you know, that seemed okay. Yeah. Um, so it, it got to be something that we shared together, nice. which was nice. So yeah, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did the classic, like I watched, I, I, I binged it as quickly as I could and then went back and restarted it with Tim. Cause he's more of like an episode a night kind of guy. Plus with these episodes all being over an hour, him not always having an hour before he has to go to bed. It, it did take a little longer to get through, but we do have that understanding of when there's a new season of Stranger Things and another other handful of shows, I cannot wait and I need to watch them right away. So, <laughs> so I did do that with, you know, Stranger Things. I also did that with the first few episodes of The Boys. The Boys, I felt like I said that weird, but I don't like watching ahead and then watching it with him because he's asking questions and I'm trying not to answer them and not show like a poker face or any, or like have a good poker face and not have any tells and and shit. And it's just really frustrating. So (laughs) I have to refrain from doing that with some shows, but. Fair enough. I wonder if he'd ask you those questions if you didn't watch ahead. Um, I think he would still like, there's still going to be those like, what the fuck is this? And what the fuck is going on kind of moments, you know? Uh, yeah. And when we do watch shit and those moments pop up, my response to him is always like, I know as much as you do. <laughs> this is the first time I'm watching it. I don't know any more than you do. <laughs> now shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't too bad with, uh, with asking a lot of questions during uh, our watching of part one of season four. So we'll get into it with our characters. We catch up with our little Hawkins upside down gang, and they're all kind of off trying to live life. The Byers and L are out in, where are they? Are they in California? or Florida? They are in California. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember, but they're out there trying to live life uh in paradise (laughs) quote paradise yeah l is having a hell of a time at school and total outcast and being bullied uh jonathan has a new best friend argyle and i absolutely love this dude he's got the i knew you would oh my god purple palm tree delight (laughs) i love i love it's like Oh my God. It must've been close to a solid minute of explaining why you should have pineapple on pizza. (laughs) The way he answered the phone at the pizza place. It's like, man, I love this dude. He's great. I love Argyle. I, yeah, I love him so much. And 
I just, but I always feel bad for any new friends that these kids try to make. Uh, I know. Talk about a toxic friend group. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. Yeah. Uh, But we see things aren't quite going super great for Elle. Uh, Will is, I feel so bad for Will for four seasons. I feel like he's Mr. Irrelevant now. I do too, but, and that really sucks. But I'm kind of hoping that he will play, I don't know, because I feel like he's got to play a bigger role in this part too. Because I I went back after I first finished watching part four, nope, season four, part one, I went back and restarted the entire series. And I got about halfway through season three before I was like, ah, I can't, I can't finish it. But even though it feels like Will has taken a bit of a backseat in this first half, I feel like it's... He, it's going to come back. He's going to come back in part two because of his connection with the mind flare and the upside down and everything. I agree, but also for a, a much subtler reason, he keeps taking the painting that he made with him, but you never get to see it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, there's a plot device if I have seen one. <laughs> yep. And it's uh, supposedly it's... for Mike. So. Right. But I just. I want to know what it is. I want to know the significance. It has to be something. Mm-hmm. Now, have you heard, uh, have you like been seeing any things about fans concerned with like queer baiting with Will's character? And I I have like, you know, the, the interviews they've had kind of imply that too. But even if you just looked at things going on in, in the series, you know, there was that scene where that girl like, on the sly touched Will's hand and he's just like ew no Mm -hmm. but then some people interpreted that as him having feelings for Eleven but I felt like he was actually just being brotherly towards her I feel like he's yeah I actually have in my note that uh Will is very like protective over Eleven and I and that he worries about her and very in a brotherly sense there was yeah. one point where I thought maybe he might have a small crush on Eleven or something. I think it was like with the ice skating rink or the roller skate rink scene. Oh. Um, there was just something about, I think it was in that episode, but there was just something about at one point the way he looks at Elle or talks to her or about her that could give the impression that he has deeper feelings beyond friendship for 11 but I think it can also be interpreted as these two have a deeper connection than they do with anybody else because of their connection to the upside down right that's how I interpreted it maybe I don't know I don't always jump to reading romantic intent in those more intense moments like that Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm wrong maybe that you know maybe this all is just one giant like misdirection and that is actually what this is about but it just didn't feel like it you know Mm -hmm. to me anyway yeah yeah so I can be pretty obtuse with missing any kind of like yeah romantic clues or anything like that so I'm just gonna kind of throw out the the cop out of we will just have to wait and see because we've got part two coming out uh, July 1st. And who knows, this episode might come out on July 1st. I'm not sure yet. 
but then I think we still have a whole nother season as well. Right. I'm hoping for at least the sake of the fans and for the sake of the showrunners and the writers. So it's not, you know, in case they piss off the fans, like don't piss off the fans. Hopefully there's theories that there's a coming out moment between Will and Jonathan uh, based on some of the stills and the shots from the trailer for part two. So I think it would be kind of nice to be able to address that then satisfy the fans and then move forward and hopefully they all live too because that would be the uh, barrier what i think the barrier gaze trope to have like will come out and then something terrible happen to him that would not be good so let's leave him and robin alone <laughs> for that last for the last oh please season please. and a half and please don't kill robin i love robin i am worried for robin and i'm worried for steve and here's why, because in this first season, when they're still like in their brainstorming period, we're trying to figure out how to stop Vecna and everything and save Eddie and, and all of that. Uh, Robin has a moment with Steve where she's like, you know, we got this. We totally got this. But then in the trailer for part two, she has a line that's something like, I have a bad feeling about this, that maybe they don't got this this time. And I was like, I swear to God don't well the trope is to normally have someone die right after they're like we've got this so maybe maybe that's a good sign but yeah i never expected going back to season one i never expected steve to end up being one of my favorite characters but oh my god i love him so much him and robin like seriously if they're the only two that survived this show i i can live with that is it, is it my ideal scenario? No, but if they're the only two that survive this, fine, I'll take it. <laughs> I would have to agree with that. Yeah, I love that opening with them uh, driving to work and she's talking about having a crush on a, someone else, this other girl in band. And he's like, no, you know, cause Robin's not sure if this other girl is a lesbian as well. And Steve's like, she returned fast times, paused at 56 minutes and three seconds or whatever. He's like, he's like, you only basically like, yes, that's when the boobies are. And then they have that nice back and forth of just saying boobies a whole bunch. Yeah. So you like boobies? I like boobies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boobies. And I'm like, wow, grow up a little bit and maybe not call them boobies. But <laughs> otherwise, sure. I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was hilarious. Please. It was funny, but it's yeah. like these two are supposed to be like adults now, right? Or like close to it, if not. Like, and they say boobies, and they say it with the the same immaturity, as like you know, in terms of how they phrase it. Like they're still, you know, like Dustin's age or yeah. what? Like I'm just like, oh my, <laughs> they're they're never gonna grow up. It's great. Well, I think Robin is still in high school because she's still in band. But, right, she's a yeah. senior probably. Yeah. And then, yeah, Steve has, has since graduated. Uh, right. But So 17, 17 to 19, depending on yep. whatever. So that's still, yeah. that's still a fine age to say boobies, I think. <laughs> I never called them that. But, you know, except when I typed it on my calculator, you know, the whole oh, upside sure. down thing. Yep. I mean... Then yeah, of course you're gonna do that. Of course, but so mature. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose yeah, boobies definitely is like a sillier word for today's. <laughs> it it is, but 
like I thought it was a really funny moment between them and you know it was really like from you know the queer ally relationship I thought it was a really cool way to show just how accepting of that Steve is like Mm -hmm. he's totally supportive and everything which I don't think was commonplace back in 86 so yeah yeah it just goes to show how cool Steve is exactly definitely one of the best character arcs in recent television history I mean, yeah. even just in that first season, he grew a lot and then it continued on. And it helps that he's always the fucking babysitter. You're too right? good at it, Steve. Sorry, you're always the fucking babysitter. Although I did love it when he bailed out on the kids and jumped in the boat. Uh, head that was hilarious. That was great. And I was like, <laughs> in a way, I was like, you know what? Good for you, Steve. You do need to go be with the, quote, grownups for a minute. Right. Even though he is the oldest out of the older kids, because as we just said, he just graduated high school. Everyone else is still in high school. It was Nancy still in high school? I thought she graduated as she well. She graduated too. Right. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Oh, eh, oh well. He might be older than her. I don't know. <laughs> Eddie's technically the oldest, isn't he? I mean, I got the, okay. He had the best intro ever. I beg to differ. Erica had the best intro for reoccurring characters anyways, not for a new character. I love the way they brought in Lady Applejack. (laughs) And they had her walk in and she has like the flag as a cape because remember, you can't spell America without Erica. Oh man, (laughs) okay, you're right. But, but, okay. Eddie's entrance was a close second then. And, you know, in his, his uh, honestly, it's like a full-on monologue soliloquy type thing going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> in that, it's implied that he's been in high school for a while. <laughs> that is true. I, but and I wasn't did. sure if that was like legit or just kind of playing into, but yeah, yeah. They do make I don't know. Maybe this is his second time around for senior. Second, year. third, I don't know. <laughs> but even so, uh, it's quite clear that it's more like him being rebellious or whatever and just not caring enough mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but oh, I, I loved him almost immediately. Yeah. I did too. I loved Eddie Munson. And there was something about the character too. Maybe it was like the hair, but there was something about him that gave me a little bit of like Polly Shore vibes. Yes, but okay, not in a bad way. Right, not in a bad way. It looks were... natural. It doesn't look like, <laughs> you know, permed up. <laughs> no, but it's a total wig. And I was like, that's actually one of the, I think, better wigs for yeah. this season. So I do have a note about the hair in this season. I just okay, want to get yes. out real quick. So there is some really great hair. And some really terrible hair. Uh, Will's? <laughs> oh my god. Please. Bowl cut? Can that, can Will please get a new haircut? Holy shit. <laughs> it is the worst. Yes. Will and Jonathan, I think, have some of the worst hair. Jonathan's hair, and maybe that goes to speak more towards like where the character is at right now, but wash it, please. Maybe, um, like, Will's stuck in the past, kind of. Um... And Jonathan's just like off the rails. I gotta say, he was my biggest disappointment this season. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. He didn't really, he didn't do anything. He got a friend named Argyle who's yeah. awesome. And that's, that's it. That was his contribution for this season was bringing in Argyle. Now we can kick Jonathan out of the friend group. <laughs> Please? Actually, yes. Can we? So we'll, like, s- well, and I feel- His character looked sick well, this and season. I, and it's like, I do feel bad for him because it's like, you know, whatever's going on between him and Nancy is kind of one thing. But then this pressure that he puts on himself where he feels like he can't live his own life because he's got to be there for Will and for his mom, which to, you know, the credit of the character, he's always been about his family and he's always felt that. And then with everything with the upside down, I'm sure he feels that even more and even deeper where it's just, it is a little bit like I, I not comfortable leaving any, either of these two out of my sight, even though mom goes off to Alaska because that's where the Britannicas are. Right. (laughs) We'll I was trying <laughs> I was trying so hard to like not lose my shit over that but I I did <laughs> I mean that's just like classic 80s parenting like to the nth degree of just okay you're out. fine now bye yeah <laughs> but yeah so back to the my little hair list so the no change because Max and Dustin don't really have much of a hair change Max has no, that glorious don't. long red hair and Dustin has a glorious thick curly hair, but I did some of the great hair that I thought, uh, Mike, I think Mike has amazing hair. I think Finn Wolfhard is really growing into like a seventies rocker look. And I personally love it. I think he totally pulls it off and I know he's got his own band and everything, but he is really just like harnessing that seventies, like British rocker look. And I fucking love it. Mrs. Wheeler, her hair evolution for the last four <laughs> seasons has been one of my favorite things to watch. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of her style this season, but it, I think it fits with uh, just the changing of her hairstyle and how I think women just like to do that. Eddie has great hair, that nice 80s metalhead rocker kid hair. Mm-mm. Lucas <laughs> with his the high top. The high top. Oh my god, he's so adorable. And of course, Argyle. And then non applicable would be Hop. Because <laughs> they shave his head. But he what looks, hair? He looks damn good without Well, he got all he got all buff in prison. Mm-hmm. So and I had read that, you know, because of his role in uh the Black Widow movie and being a stuck in like a Russian prison there. He wanted to shave his head so it wasn't too closely related to uh to that plot in those scenes. So I was mm-hmm. like, I guess that's the best you can do, right? <laughs> You're still in a Russian prison. Right. Um, and then there's Eleven's hair evolution where I really so okay, in season one, she has no hair. She goes from, you know, the shaved head to a blonde wig to try and fit in, quote, what's pretty mm-hmm. uh season two she's got that short shaggy kind of curly hair while she's hiding out with hopper so it's not mm-hmm. really it's just kind of sitting there there's not really a lot going on being done with it uh in season three she's full-on hopper's daughter and so she's just got that simple bob with a mid part until she goes shopping with max and then she parts her hair to the side and starts 
kind of coming into her own look. What's what is her? What feels like Eleven? And now this season, Eleven has like Joyce's hair because she looks like a mini Joyce. And I thought that I thought they always kind of looked very similar, even back in season one. So I'm fine with yeah. That. I like Eleven's mini Joyce look. So yeah, but speaking of Eleven, so she she doesn't have her power starting off. She's got a terrible fucking bully uh, named Angela that had it coming. I don't give a shit. She had it coming. Fuck her. That was a brutal scene, though. Wow. That was, that was super brutal. The whole roller skating rink had a lot of, like, carry vibes to it, which I appreciate. It did. A lot of horror. I mean, again, like, this is, the series is an homage to 80s horror movies. And so we get a lot of, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street vibes and Carrie here with the ice skating uh, scene and everything, them circling her and then eventually, like, throwing the milkshake on her or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then Eleven coming back and smashing Angela in the face with a roller skate. So, yeah, that was, I mean, I mean, how did she only do that once? Right? And then like, yeah. And show restraint. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's like when Angela dropped that line about like, go cry to your dad. Oh, no, wait, you can't. I've been like, <laughs> I'd have hit her at least three times. Right. This one's for me. This one's for my dad mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, like, yep. um, this uh, is, and this third one is just to make sure you shut the fuck up forever. Right. Uh, I've got a little bit of rage just seething under the surface. So. <laughs> but there's, there's a lot about that scene though, like the roller rink scene that uh, kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Like, okay, for one, the date on the footage was originally Will's birthday and mm-hmm. No one remembers, even his own mom. Bye, I'm going to Alaska, remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like after that violent incident, one, they let Elle leave. Mm-hmm. Two, there's no way that they can't see on the camera footage what you know instigated that. Exactly. Why isn't the other one in trouble? And then following that, Elle's arrest when there's no adult in the home. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Jonathan's there, but no legal guardian is in the home. Yep. Like, seriously? Is that how they did things in the late 80s? Quite possibly. I mean, it is was the 80s. I would not be surprised. We'll just put it that way. I would yeah. like to think that, uh, that it wasn't actually like that, but I feel like we learned a lot of lessons in, in the 80s of what not to do. That we're going to go ahead true. and start repeating now. But that's another. That's true. Another rant. But yeah. No, I completely agree, though. The uh, even when even when the Hawkins police chief uh, and the other officer were questioning, not even like questioning, but when they were talking to the little uh, proud boy, Jason, and just after like <sighs> everything that happened with Chrissy, I'm like, I, I think you need an adult there. Even though he's not being questioned as a suspect, I think you still need to have, he still needs to have an adult present. Correct. Yeah. So there was, there was kind of a lot of that throughout this season of uh, just the parents not being present while the police are present. So I was like, yeah, hey. it seemed odd to me, but Again, if we're thinking of this as more of like an homage to 80s movies, especially the ones where the kids kind of 
went off and did their own things. It, okay, that's fair. Yeah. So that's, I guess, kind of one way you can just kind of, you know, like, uh, excuse it away. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's see. What else have we got? Oh, so yes, we were uh, talking about Eleven. So she lost her powers and everything um, at the end of season three. And then we find out that she could get her powers back with the help of one of our two dads, Paul Reiser. <laughs> He's, he will always right? be one half of my two dads. Um, yeah. So I was really glad to see him come back and still kind of be uh, on the, a, a good guy, so to speak. But we also re- we also get back Papa, Dr. Brenner, also with amazing hair. Holy shit. His hair He's was- getting ready in the morning scene. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. So props to Matthew Modine. Like that was, that was some really great fucking hair. I just yeah. can't get over some of the hair in this season of some of the characters. <laughs> I had some really mixed feelings about Dr. Brenner's return. I, I hate the Papa thing. Yeah the false attribution of parenthood I, I i don't know it really bothers me when it's not a genuine relationship you know mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it it feels like it's a form of abuse almost and look in going back in the flashback scenes of, of like what it was like for 11 and the other kids in the lab situation yeah it was it was like indoctrination and and all that stuff you know let's force these familial relationships so you're more compliant with the program this is like ugh, it gives me it rubs me the wrong way like i was more bothered by things like this in the season than the actual like horror stuff <laughs> no but i get you because it's like when just like the hand holding when they're walking with whether it's 11 or 10 or any other random child, because there's in the beginning, Brenner and I think it's 10, whoever, uh, they walk past a, a female doctor and a child and they're holding hands. That feels so weird to me. In this creepy. Very, creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy in this like cold, sterile, unloving environment. Here we have an act that is supposed to show that you care about someone's like safety and well being by holding their hand. And it feels icky so icky so icky it's just it's so fake it's just i yeah i agree that we're i had some mixed emotions with brenner coming back and kind of thinking about like how for the first like you know three seasons always kind of thinking of him as like this just bad guy you know you're experimenting on children you're doing all these things you're cold and with the way he chases is hunting for 11 in season one now in season four, we see that maybe to a certain degree he cared. I would say so, but I still think he's a cold son of a bitch. Absolutely. I'm not saying that this makes him like a warm, caring, fatherly, parental figure. But now we're supposed to believe that under all of that, he did, there there was some compassion, but very small, limited amounts. Also, Tim thinks it's just super mean to reward small children with salt, salt water taffy. <laughs> There's worse things like candy corn, maybe. I suppose. 
But Tim was very upset with the saltwater taffy. <laughs> saltwater taffy and rainbow room. Oh, God. In the rainbow room. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the negative punishment was, what, a shock collar? Yep. I think I'll take the saltwater taffy, thanks. Yeah, no shit. I guess I'll choke it down. Uh, were you surprised with Brenner's return? Yes. Yes, I was. Um, mainly because like his introduction was that dressing up scene. And I'm like, what? Why are we having a day in Brenner's life right now? I don't want this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I hate to say it because I in no way condone this conditioning and torturing and manipulation of children. But she needed his help. No one else was going to be able to get through to her that way because mm -hmm. he's cold enough to do it. Yep. Yep. He's able to stand there and let it continue. Uh, once it, even it, once it hits a point where other people like Paul Reiser's Dr. Owen, where he's like, no, we need to stop. We need to stop or whatever. And Brenner keeps pushing forward. You're right. She needed that. And it's, so it was kind of, a very like odd relationship viewer as a viewer uh, to see Brenner on screen to be like, okay, you've always kind of been this like baddie in a sense or morally corrupt or questionable. Yeah. And now I'm supposed to like kind of root for you because you're going to help our heroine get her powers back. And let's be honest. I think we all knew that her power, her power loss was a psychological block and, yes. and nothing like she didn't just straight up lose her powers like they got zapped from her yeah and man she's had some horrible moments because of that too and I'm surprised that those weren't enough to like jolt jolt it out like you know that scene in the courtyard at the school oh. with Angela where she like reaches out and screams at her oh that was I'm like so I wanted that to be like a fledgling my powers are kind of back moment but instead mm -hmm. it was just oh poor Eleven mm-hmm it was so no. hard. Oh, it was so painful to watch. Oh. I know. Oh, it, it hurt. It like hurt me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. But I, I mean, so yeah, I'm, I was shocked, but then it's like in season two, when in the episode where 11 meets eight and they're going around and cause eight in her little gang, their whole thing is getting revenge on the people that, were associated with Brenner in the lab and everything. And they tracked down one of the, one of the guys that ended up administering the shock therapy to uh, Eleven's mom. And he says in that moment that Brenner's alive and Eleven's like, no, Papa's dead. And he's like, no, he's alive. And he trusts me. And that's kind of it for any mention of Brenner. And you just think it's like a passing comment, something he's trying to say to save his life. Uh, and like I said, I didn't finish my rewatch of season three, so I don't remember if there's any other mentions of Brenner possibly being alive, but I'm like, okay, well, they tried telling us in season two. <laughs> and, you know, whether or not you anyone took it as, oh, he might act like as like an Easter egg of Brenner might still be alive or not it's just like well here he is season four with amazing hair 
yeah. much better hair than he had in like seasons one. Right. But like, I guess, no, the shock value was like more like how he returned, not that he returned. Mm-hmm. I still need I, to know. I feel like this season left me more confused about eight though. Like, how did she get out? Well, eight said that once she her powers had grown enough she used them to escape so she's able to put in like the power of suggestion basically into people's mind and make them see what she wants them to i could right. see how I that might have that... been easy for her to get out but then it's like when like where in that timeline yeah. of the past did she escape and also why didn't one try to use her abilities to his advantage why did he wait why did he wait for 11 why her exactly why 11 and i'm wondering if it isn't just because he could sense that she was or is as powerful if not more so and i think 11 is more powerful than one clearly now Uh, still now uh possibly hmm you know we she's unlocked those memories that have stopped her so maybe now she will see that she was never the monster because she's always been struggling with whether or not all of this is her fault. If she is the monster, you know, that whole kind of doubt that she has. So hopefully now she can see that she isn't the monster. She stopped the monster, but accidentally opened a gate. Yeah. Oh man. But that was, I I loved the escalation to that point, going back through those memories mm-hmm. and one's subtle transformation there in, in those culminating scenes, you know, from the most kindly looking face. Kindly looking face? <laughs> to, to, to the evilest expression possible. It was just like, whoa. Okay, so... All right, let's get into it. Vecna and one and all of that. Okay, I didn't see that coming, but I knew that this orderly was one. Okay. That I saw, like, immediately. I knew that he was one. And I I figured um, upon that realization that he was Vecna. So that did not surprise me either. I didn't know how he ended up in the Upside Down and all that. So that, you know, that got answered. But I'm like, he has to be. He has to be. Um, okay, but I still, like, I got Clark Kennedy. I'm, You know, I really pride myself on figuring out plot lines before they happen kind of thing. And to some extent in this show, I was saying the lines before they were said. Because I'm like, there's no way there could be any other line, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I got Clark Kennedy so bad with this. Why? Because I didn't put together that one slash Vecna was also the kid. Yeah. From, you know, from that house because his hair was brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I know, I know this actor. This actor is definitely a natural blonde. There's no way you go from brunette as a kid to that. Yeah. And I'm just like, (laughs) I mean, obviously hair dye is a thing, but I'm like, he, this actor is a natural blonde. This isn't a wig. This is his hair. And and I'm just like, this, that doesn't fit. No, I'm discarding this. And I'm like, oh, 
fuck. <laughs> now I missed the junior Creel in the in the flashbacks when we meet when we first meet Victor Creel. Also, like hooray, I fucking love Victor Creel and you know who they got to play Victor Creel and his introduction because it just kind of right? goes with the whole like nightmare vibes like they go they get in uh Nancy and Robin get in and they they manage to see him and he's just sitting at his little desk in his cell and he's just like tapping his fingers you know one at a time on his desk or no he's scratching he's like he's scratching, scratching at it and first of all that I don't like any of like the scratching and close up with the nails and everything and it just gives me the willies but then it's like i was like oh my god who is this who is this because i forgot that robert england had been because i think they had announced that he was going to be in season four they just didn't so did i playing what so i was like who is this and when they showed him i was like yeah <laughs> 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 it's like the really weird noise i made <laughs> So that was done so beautifully and I loved every second of it. But when he's telling the story about how they were basically, how he thought they were haunted by a demon or something, I completely even missed that they had a son. So they did a really good job kind of filming all that by including him in the scene still. But obviously like there's other things going on, like the daughter's right. running around more excited or in this and that. And so you don't spend a lot of time noticing the sun. So then when one was retelling his story and I was like, and as soon as they showed young Creel, I was like, oh, hell no. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and at I was that, like, wait, there was a point, son? <laughs> at that point when he was telling his story, I'm like, well, I got that wrong, but I'm glad you mentioned the sister or the daughter, depending on who we're talking about. Cause you know what? That's, that's the thing she was blonde and i'm just like i'm just like come on <laughs> like like why 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 did this kid have this dark brown hair it just doesn't work so yeah hair dye will work on me like glasses work for other people with Clark Kent and Superman. <laughs> i am hair blind yep <laughs> so but i i do really like how they played out the the reveal in that last episode for part one. Yeah. I mean, it's not really anything new and, you know, exceptional in terms of storytelling, you know, where they've got Nancy kind of reliving the past through Vecna's uh, version of the upside down or whatever, while past Vecna is explaining everything to little 11. But I still just loved how they did that and the back and forth. In, in telling that story they had a couple other kind of very similar moments like even in the first episode with lucas playing the basketball games and lady applejack uh killing it and D D and that whole back and forth the way that i i love that and that makes me think that maybe the sinclair kids are going to play a bigger role maybe in the end yeah i'm just worried one of them's gonna die i hope not i love i love the sinclair kids they're adorable i love. I know so erica's much. my hero erica should be everyone's hero <laughs> she's amazing i love it um but the thing that i was i guess kind of i don't know a little confusing was that so we have one 
mm-hmm. telling Eleven his whole his backstory, right? Yeah. And this is done in a memory. So this actually happened in what was it like seventy eight? Mm-hmm. So she's reliving this memory of one telling her about how he's Junior Creel and, and this and that. Nancy is in the present. And but OK, so so the, the kids end up they're in the present, but then they end up in the upside down through by going through Watergate. And while they're in the upside down, they realize that this upside down is frozen in time from when Will's first went missing. Right. So, while Nancy is starting to get Vecnud, she falls from the upside down that's in the past, but two years behind into what the current upside down is where Vecna rules, where it's more red and all the floaty things and the house and, and everything. Yeah. And that's how she is seeing this story. But how? How well, does that- Vecna- Vecna had a moment with Max like that. You know, Max was running away from him. And the the upside down at the point where she was running away had that more, you know, bluish tinge to it, right? And then she's running away and she ends up running to his lair where it got reddish and it was the house and you could see the stained glass window. Um, So it's like a vulnerability in Vecna's consciousness, I think. But somehow Nancy's there because Vecna's on onto them was was my premise and you know of all of the people investigating what's really going on here Nancy was the closest to figuring it out without the advantage of having a repressed memory Mm -hmm. and you know he even said as much like you almost had me so you know he's been paying attention to her but he's vulnerable I notice when he's vulnerable you end up there Mm -hmm. And yeah. for Max, it only looked like a few steps. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's because even Max said that he seemed like he didn't want her there. Right. So, okay. But as much as he tries to mask them, he has his vulnerabilities. And it's clear that his past is one of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of like Voldemort and Harry Potter. Like he was obsessed with getting as far away from his past as possible, but he couldn't quite let it go. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm just like, huh, okay. So we have that kind of going on. So I guess it didn't, but that didn't bother me as much. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what Nancy's fate is now that she's had that run in, though. Oh, I'm, I'm very, I'm nervous. But in bringing up Harry Potter, <laughs> yes, the actor who plays Vecna won whatever junior creel whatever you want to say he was young grindelwald in the harry potter movies Ah. so i'm like this is really funny for me because it's all (laughs) tied together (laughs) all right okay so anything else on vecna one slash junior creel uh not directly but like that interaction with max that we were talking about Mm, yes i loved that scene like everything where he was pretending to be billy really messing with her and you know it looked like she was really done for and then music saves her at the last minute um but max this season though like wow she's 
the actor she's playing she's playing trauma really well she is she's doing a great fucking job i i really i mean i love all these kids for the most part except for a little bit of mike this season (laughs) mike's an asshole mike's an asshole uh but yeah, episode four was, we'll just, let's just talk about episode four real quick since we're talking about Max and, and Vecna. But that fucking episode, I was so stressed out. I was so fucking scared for Max the whole time. I was like, oh my God, are they going to save her? Is something going to crash on her? And it was so fucking emotional. And then she lives, she survives, thanks to Kate Bush. And then the way when she drops and then the way Lucas goes to her and holds her and she kind of embraces him back, just fucking shut up and take my tears. It's goddamn stressful. It was so, but it was so wonderfully done. And even like the second and third time watching it, I'm still holding my breath. Like just run. Oh my God, just go. (laughs) I loved it so much. I don't think I would have been, uh, emotionally ready to lose Max or really any of the kids in this first half. No, I, same. But she was like facing that head on, and you know, there's there's that whole conversation with Billy or well, Vecna as Billy, like a part of her wanted to be dead too. Mm-hmm. And you know, the lyrics uh, of "Running Up That Hill" kind of like reinforced that when you took them in the snippets that they were playing in the show it was just like oh oh man I'm I just like talk about heart-wrenching stuff oh yeah like she didn't even really like Billy and she's feeling this like it's so complicated and she plays it beautifully Mm -hmm. yeah and like you especially I don't know for me I especially thought she was a goner when she's writing her letters handing Mm -hmm. them all out and then the then actually reading billy's letter Uh, because i think the episode is titled dear billy yeah so you kind of get the sense that this is her goodbye it's very common in shows where right before you lose a beloved character they have a moment where they get a little real they talk about what they want to do when this is all done and you know just all that hopeful shit and or in a way saying their goodbyes so this was her saying her her goodbyes and i'm like oh my god <laughs> i know I'm not ready <laughs> as much as i love the the whole how they did the vecna one reveal um this was my favorite episode of the season absolutely without without a doubt absolutely because we also get uh this is when they introduce freddy krueger as victor creel Mwah. chef's kiss beautifully done right and then we also get the shootout at Joyce's house. And I almost kind of forgot that this also happened in this episode. This A lot of shit goes down in this episode. But that was also extremely intense. This fucking right? full-on shootout in some suburban home in the 80s. So unassuming. And hats off to unknown hero agent man. Because holy shit, that guy, the one that almost lived the one that doesn't get tortured uh yeah (laughs) but i was super impressed and it's like 
it was it was so fucking good so just like suspenseful edge of your seat like all that good shit that i love because as you have said i am a masochist when it comes to tv watching (laughs) (laughs) and then we also get hopper's escape another kind of like nail biting oh my god he did it that son of a bitch did it (laughs) And then you're like, oh, wait. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, can I just say one other thing? Yes. The the appreciation that peanut butter gets in this this episode. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm a huge fan. Gotta say, I love it. I I know you love peanut butter. Your your peanut butter jar at your desk at our old job. I sit there and eat peanut butter and crackers. So yep. <laughs> hey, it's a great source of protein. <laughs> I want some right now. <laughs> oh, but I that has to be like the top episode. It just kind of had everything. It really did. Um, and, you know, uh, I admittedly I focus more on what's going on with the kids mm-hmm. because like those two plot points between like what Will and Mike and Jonathan and Argyle are doing and and what um, the rest of them are doing back in Hawkins are obviously converging mm-hmm. with with what's going on with Eleven but as much as I love the fact that Hopper is alive and eventually gets out and as a bonus, Enzo gets to join them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about Enzo just yet, but you know, he kind of grew on me a bit. Um, I don't understand, like I understand Cold War Russia and that kind of setting and everything, but I don't understand the military subplot and the Rus- you know, the Russian aspect and how exactly that's going to tie up and meet up with these plot points well. And maybe that's a that's a discussion for season five for all we know I mean I don't know how much you can resolve in the rest of season four but I I see where all the storylines are converging except for that one like I see where it wants to go potentially you know happy family reunion between Hopper and Eleven um Joyce realizing her kids are in a world of shit themselves and she maybe made a questionable choice and has to go and find them again you know it's back to like it's not finding Nemo, it's finding Will. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all a little dory, like they forgot. <laughs> yeah. Like she's, but they're just going to keep swimming. She's dory. Like, oh yeah, Will. Oh my God. And then, yeah. you know. <laughs> I didn't think like, about it that way, but I kind of like, love it. Like, how the hell is she going to find out that they're on their way to Nevada? Like, she thinks, as far as her and Murray are concerned, they're playing too much Nintendo, they're watching too much TV, smoking too much dope, and having too much sex. Also, how does Joyce not know when Jonathan is high? Right, Everybody he had a full-on cloud in his room. <laughs> He's coughing and it, well, uh-huh. The little bits you get from like Joyce and Hopper's conversations about high school and everything, from the first three seasons you kind of get the impression that she would know i don't know maybe it's the thing you see what you want to see could be i don't know um 
okay but seriously how could she be that naive in general like the kids are only doing these things when she knows what they've been through already I think that they are just she's that she's just that hopeful that they are living a quote normal boring life fine I will concede that everything because it's been like that for a year so why other than just hot being alive she has no reason to suspect anything else which is a little naive I think on Joyce's part but I think that could also be attributed to just being willfully blind to it and not wanting to in a sense well, go back and you know backwards in dealing fair. with bullshit <laughs> and upside if there's down. anything we can say about joyce she is a willful person so you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna run with that yeah okay. <laughs> but still i don't understand how this is going to converge okay so the russians have a gate too maybe they go into the upside down to get back to hawkins or whatever like fast travel <laughs> <laughs> bikes in the upside down though hey look they'll be fine they've got murray like wow dude murray 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 been super spy on us like wow his arms are like arrows (laughs) i love that he got carried away and knocked out yuri and then they're like oh shit we can't fly this plane dude i love murray i loved that whole scene you know just yeah, we know he's got, he's a black belt. He just earned his black belt. But now we're finding out that it's been, you know, no one younger than like 13 or whatever. And the top in the class is 16. But he beat him. He beat him the one time. So that's why. And I love that Murray needed that moment to just talk it through. You know, Joyce is very Joyce. She's like, nope, we're going to break this jar. I'm going to cut the ropes and you're going to just do it now. Do it now. And, but Murray needed that moment to talk it through. And I just, I don't know. I just think that's a very endearing quality in him. Because <laughs> once oh, he got there. Oh, he's so endearing. Because it's like once he got there, once he talked it through by himself, basically, he was like, I got this. I can do this. And and he does. <laughs> it was one of the most entertaining and satisfying scenes of the season. I never Yuri. thought. I never thought that I would end up being like Team Murray, but I'm like, wow, dang, I love this dude. No shit. (laughs) I thought he was just meant to be like comic relief, you know, the annoying, nerdy, like conspiracy theory guy that kind of pushes things along when they need to and then otherwise kind of left to his own devices or whatever. But man, I love him. Like Joyce Joyce and Murray as reluctant BFFs forever. Oh, uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. And, you know, at first it's like, I would have to admit, Murray really kind of kept that plot line going in terms of what was kind of interesting and entertaining because it's like, yes, I want Hop to escape. Yes, I obviously want Hop and Joyce to be reunited and eventually reunited with the kids and everything. And the moment that Hop breaks out, you're like, yes, yes. And then it doesn't happen. You just, I don't know. I just felt so like defeated. I felt just as defeated as Hopper. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, well, great. Now what? It felt, I hate to say it, but it felt a little boring compared to what else was going on. Uh, with it the other was. Points. But I loved the showdown with uh, the, the death, basically the death row inmates versus the Demogorgon. 
and having just imagine being Joyce up there and watching all of that and knowing that Hop doesn't know that you're there. And I'm glad that he didn't find out that she was up there because that really could have fucked his chances. Yeah. He would have been, I think on one hand, he would have been more driven and determined, but also that much more distracted. Right. But no, I liked that she couldn't say anything. It was nice because she's normally like just, she speaks before she thinks. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like always yelling, <laughs> but like, I like Joyce. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. just, you know, for once in her life, she was the quiet one. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, so she's actually having some character development here too. Mm-hmm. No, um, I, I've enjoyed watching Joyce through these four seasons because she's always been like, even from season one, you know, and she goes to report Will missing and Hop's like, you know, nine times out of ten, it's this. And she's like, well, what about that one time? And she's stuck to it. And she sticks to her theory. She tells Murray in this season. She likes her own theory better, you know, of what's going on with Hop and everything. And she's always stuck to her guns. She always has kind of a yelly moment of, nope, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. And I love that. I love that little Joyce trope. We can keep that forever. <laughs> yeah. But she's gotten, she's definitely gotten stronger and more confident in her Joyce Yelly moments. So exactly, I, I do, I do appreciate that we have kind of seen that uh, in this character. So, but can I be honest with you? No, if it wasn't for, like, <laughs> fine. No. If, it, if it wasn't for Murray's, you know, uh, character development in this storyline, I could have happily skipped most of it. I would agree. Like, as much as I wanted, like you said, Hopper to get out and get reunited with everyone again, especially for Eleven's sake, like not even as much Joyce's sake, but man, Eleven's having a rough time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she needs but her like, dad. <laughs> I know. And he he needs his kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I did appreciate, you know, hearing more about like, you know, Hopper's time in the military and how that ultimately affected Mm -hmm. how things went with his biological daughter and his marriage and what led to where he is now and like I appreciated all that stuff and like I said Enzo even grew on me a bit um but I don't know it just I I understand that it's it's developing their storyline and trying to bring them home too but I just I feel like it was a distraction from what was going on with the kids, mm-hmm. which was by far the more compelling storyline for me. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And that, I mean, no disrespect to those characters either. Right. Uh, but like, that's that's the thing about it. It's like, okay, well, what what now for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're. Yeah, I mean, I I one hundred percent agree. It's, you know, and like you said, no disrespect to the characters or the actors playing because they've the actors did an amazing job with these characters and mm-hmm. the storyline that they were given. And it was just kind of, a nece- you know, obviously it's necessary because we need these two, these three, four to come together and be reunited. I think that they will find whatever gate is over on the Russian side. And that will ultimately lead to everyone coming together, whether it's 
through the upside down and super fast travel or uh, who knows? Who knows? I like the idea of video game fast travel being in this. Yeah. I really do. Oh my but, God. Like the tubes in Mario. Right. <laughs> if it makes a little sound when they go through the upside down. Oh, like a sloshy pipe. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the Mario pipe sound. <laughs> but, but, but wetter. But wetter. Ew. Yeah, yeah well, it's the upside down. Come on. Well, and I saw it when I was rewatching, I was finishing up season four. And, you know, so during the fight uh, in the Russian prison with the Demogorgon, there was like the one caption that says Demogorgon eats wetly. And I was like, yes, so <laughs> yes. gross. that's the caption I needed to see today. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> so gross, but accurate. I will say mm-hmm. that the captioning for season four uh, is spot on. Mm-hmm. I, it's I fucking loved it. There's. There's a, there were a couple of other interesting descriptive choices made in the captions that I think just really kind of, I mean, it just adds. I mean, it does a good job describing in just like three short words. Demogorgon right? eats wetly or it was some of the best <laughs> captioning work I have seen recently. So good job. Applause. Applause. <laughs> now, real quick with Enzo. Now, when they first showed him, and I'm just going to keep calling him Enzo, IMDb shows that the character's name is Dimitri, but I don't remember anyone calling him Dimitri. He's just, so he's just Enzo forever. But when he first popped on screen, I was like, I thought he looked familiar, Mm -hmm. but I just, I couldn't place his face almost like he was a faceless man. And then I looked it up and I was like, fuck yeah, he was the faceless man. (laughs) It was his voice. His voice is so burned into my brain. Um, it was the eyes that like were really pulling me in where I'm like, I know I've seen those eyes and maybe a bit of the voice too, but I did, I, I did look it up and I was, and then I just laughed to myself. I was like, of course I barely recognize the faceless man. That's what he wants. <laughs> That's what he was. Exactly. <laughs> But so. like two other things about uh, the Russian side of things that I uh, appreciated there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I thought it was hilarious that when Enzo uh, talks about his son, Hopper refuses to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, Hopper's you always Ameri- been an you asshole. American asshole, you. Absolutely. But, but like. Uh, <laughs> It's just, I was just like, oh, wow, that is so mean. Well, even in season three, he wouldn't, oh, um, the, their little Russian dude that they sort of kind of kidnapped, but not really. Uh, yeah. But he kept, Hop just would keep, keep calling him Smirnoff. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but so it's consistent with his character, but I'm like, he's trying to talk to this man convincingly and consolingly about you know their shared experiences as parents and he refuses to pronounce the guy's son's name correctly so it's like you're kind of like diminishing the effect but (laughs) i just thought it was hilarious (laughs) but then the other thing okay grossest thing in the show for me was not demogorgon eats wetly (laughs) 
it was Hopper trying to uh, get his ankle out of those shackles. <sighs> Every time. From the bashing of the chain to loosen the chain a little bit and him biting down and and then, yeah, actually trying to slip it off. Oh, my God. I did not look away at anything else in the show, but I did for that. Yeah. I just couldn't. I'm like, I told, I told Aaron, I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you it's over. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that was a very like <laughs> moment, but mm-hmm. oh my god, so fucking well done. But I think that's gonna be about it. Cause like I said, it wasn't my favorite, but it's it was a necessary it was evil. Necessary, yeah, <laughs> necessary evil. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, let's get back to the kids. We'll round up. We'll finish up talking about the rest of the kids. We've got Mike and Dustin, Jonathan. Yeah, just the rest of those little boogers. So yeah, I feel like I don't really have anything more to add on the Jonathan side of things. Like sure. as much sure. as I empathize with his plight, I'm also like, well, you're making all the wrong choices about it, and I don't understand that. Yeah. But like um and yeah again will i just feel sorry for and i really hope like he gets his moment and i hope that that doesn't mean he's going to die Mm -hmm. but if we're being realistic especially after watching shows like game of thrones just because we love a character we want the best for them doesn't mean they're gonna make it in fact that most almost ensures their death (laughs) right i need to Um, stop loving characters because they will eventually leave me but like man I really like when Max first came into the show and Billy, you know, I was like, okay, I guess this kind of works kind of thing. And you, you grew more attached to them, but Max this season is really won it out for me. Like mm-hmm. I love her storyline the best, you know, I love, I love the portrayal of it, everything about it. Um, Lucas, I was really happy that he got to the game winning shot in basketball, but mm-hmm. I was really sad for him because he was missing out on, D&D with his friends and his friends you know though through friends through like great effort they failed to uh attend the basketball game that was so important to him so you know it left him in a very conflicted and vulnerable state the D&D stuff man I love that I actually played that this morning (laughs) so I'm like this is fitting this is fitting but like Eddie is a great dungeon master I love Eddie so fucking much. How adorable uh, is he? So I just have to point out that, okay, so when they're in the upside down, they realize that they're able to start communicating using the lights, which I think takes them way too long to figure out. Yeah. There's a couple, because that and then like the moment with Dustin's uh, compass and the magnets and all of that and being wonky, I was like, how do you not remember the main plot point of the magnet shit in season one and three? Yeah, I know. And no no offense to Dustin, but it's like he needs to be the insufferable mill at all. He sometimes is because how else are they going to like get anywhere? <laughs> no shit. But I still love that that Steve is like the ladies man that he is, that he's like so adept at finding this rock that everyone goes to make out at because he just he just knows. He's he's the one that made it cool. He turned it into a makeout spot. And really, what a cool fucking hangout makeout the myth, spot. The legend, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
But yeah, I love Eddie. And so when he, they're figuring out how to communicate through the lights and they're like, does anybody know Morris Code? Well, of course, none of these teens know Morris Code, just the younger kids like Dustin, I think, knows Morris Code. But uh, and then Eddie's like, he's like, what you mean, like SOS? Yeah. Morris Code. And that was super cute. And my husband turns to me and he's like, Metallica. <laughs> That's like, oh my god. Nice. <laughs> I was like, you and Eddie would have been fucking besties. <laughs> Quite possibly. But oh, he's so animated and lively. Like the interaction between him and Chrissy in the woods. Like Oh, him and Chrissy. How adorable were those two? I know. And of course he knew she wasn't gonna. Yeah. Like she had, she had horror movie victim written all over her face from the moment they showed it. Mm-hmm. And you know, she played that role fantastically. Like applause. But the interaction between between her and Eddie was just so good. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, I, yeah, I really like this Eddie guy. Like, he's awesome. <laughs> That's when we really saw like that softer side of Eddie, you know, because we see him in the cafeteria and he's talking big and loud and really playing into the Eddie the freak kind of uh, image that everyone else had of him. But then here we see shortly after that, we see Eddie with Chrissy and he's showing the softer side and this more understanding side. And, you know, he even mentioned, you know, first she was a little nervous and a little scared of meeting Eddie, quote, the freak out in the middle, out in the woods. Eddie admits that he was a little afraid of meeting, you know, Chrissy, you know, head cheerleader, little Miss Popular out in the woods. So I thought that was a very interesting just kind of a quick in passing line of really about like high school life and the, the dynamic and and shared vulnerability shared vulnerability exactly and that they kind of came together in that moment too and yes his animated ways of you know kind of jumping up and talking big and loud and then you know and then she's like well i actually kind of need something stronger and then they get back to his trailer and he's trying to find the special K or whatever other ketamine ketamine. Yeah. And, and then she starts getting Vecna. I will admit the line where he's like, Chrissy, I don't like this was kind of funny, but also very, <laughs> a very real light, like the terror in it, that the fear in it was very real as well. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It came out kind of funny and everything, but I, I think, it's also understandable. Like poor Eddie in a very short space of time has become a very traumatized person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what he gets for being friends with them. <laughs> yeah. You wanted hellfire. You got it. Exactly. So yeah, love. I love Eddie and I, I really don't want Eddie to die, but I guess it'd be okay. I don't want him to die. He's too adorable. I know, but it's like we have to pick because <laughs> they're not okay. all gonna make it. I know, I know. Okay, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Mike. I really felt like Mike was like top notch asshole, especially in those first couple of episodes. And then going back and rewatching the series, he's definitely always had asshole moments. Yeah. Um, 
So, but for some reason this season, I'm just like, dude, what is your fucking problem? But I will give him props because at one point, uh, he does try to approach Eleven and Will, you know, respectively, separately, to kind of have a bit more of like a, so what's going on type of a moment. But those yeah. initial just kind of blow off scenes, it just, ugh. I'm just like, I don't like you. He's a very self-centered person. I would agree. And, you know, he's been through hell and back with his friends as literally as he possibly can. Mm -hmm. And what, it's too scary to tell them that you love them? Like platonically, romantically, whatever the case may be, whoever we're talking about, like seriously? Mm -hmm. Get over it. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I, I agree. I, like Eleven says, he can't even write it. I know. And it's like, I I've, know. And I've seen people try to not necessarily defend, but in a way kind of explain that, you know, with this character in the 80s, look at the relationship his parents have with each other. Look at his male role model figure. Not, a, not an affectionate type. Not a I love you type. You know, but at the same time, like Nancy yeah. can show love. Nancy, yeah, Nancy's exactly. not afraid of that. So is it just a matter of a male role versus a female role? Or, you know what I mean? And that maybe Mike thinks because of the way Ted doesn't show affection that he thinks Mike thinks that that's acceptable and that's what you're supposed to do versus Nancy taking after more of her mom and showing a more caring side. Look, maybe, maybe, yeah, but either way, maybe. I think that's a very thin argument because again, Nancy's clearly capable of love and being mm -hmm. affectionate. Yes. We'll get, we'll get to that in a second, but like, <laughs> okay, seriously, I feel like this is the deterioration of, of Mike and Eleven's relationship because Eleven's lying to him too. Mm -hmm. Why does she feel the need to do that? She says it even in this season, friends don't lie. Yep. But she's lying. So they're not friend they're not friends anymore. What are they? Exactly. And then and then oh, Mike reading that letter and throwing it away, like how dismissive, but also how how dare he put that much pressure on her? Mm -hmm. Like, is he so out of touch with the person he supposedly cares the most about? that he doesn't understand how how fragile she is right now. Like the way that he talks to her kind of communicates that her entire value to him beyond being able to make out is superpowers. Mm -hmm. Like in a way that makes her less of a person too. And mm -hmm. you know, me coming from the perspective that I come from, definitely that hit home. And I was just like, I hate you. Well, with, I don't, in my opinion, with good reason. So I don't know. Mike went from being, like I said, rewatching, he definitely had his asshole moments in earlier seasons. But like you can dismiss that, like youth and naivety and just being dumb. I but, guess, but it's like he lashes out at 11 because she, in, in season one, she goes to take them to Will. So they t she takes them to Will's house and not fully under, you know, she hasn't explained the upside down. They're not fully understanding any of that. 
and he is an immediate dick to her. You know, right? they're, they're back in the basement. She's trying to tune in uh, with the walkie-talkie to try and communicate with Will. That Like, she's still trying for him. And he's sitting there, and he's like, he's like, you lied. That was bad. Do you understand what you did was bad? And blah, blah. Like, just being a fucking dick. It's like, dude, she got you closer to, to Will than you could have gotten on your own. And you're going to sit right. there and be an asshole about it. And then he had another moment in season two, but I don't exactly remember precisely which one that was but you're right I guess I had dismissed that as like again him being younger and not understanding what's going on but I at mean, this point absolutely at this point none of those things applies mm-hmm. like so it's like what the fuck Mike yeah but also like I've been thinking about it in terms of you know past seasons and everything what has he contributed to actually like figuring things out and getting shit done other than just being there, you know? Uh, he's, they. I mean, all the characters have all had their own little moments of contributing. In season two, he kind of pieced together that, you know, with the hive mind and everything, that Will slash the Mind Flayer had set up the trap to send the other troops down into the Upside Down. Okay. And, and, and so Will does try and stop them and be like, no, that's a trap. You got to get him out of there. But the guards don't let him beyond that. And then Eleven sees sees all of that um, from far away, you know, through the veil yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So he's had little moments like that. Okay. And I think they're, they're, like I said, everyone, every character has kind of had little realization moments. Even Steve has had... <laughs> his own like smart moments <laughs> even though steve for the most part is like well what's that what's this you know <laughs> i love how he what? always he always finds something to swing at the the monsters with yes just whatever random thing lying around and he brandishes it like it's you know the best weapon in the universe i, I just love that um but you know it was mike okay uh, maybe i had forgotten about his contributions over the years because well they don't it it doesn't seem to happen too often you know Mm -hmm. and if anything he does a lot more in the i'm gonna make things worse column (laughs) (laughs) but like okay you mentioned nancy you know is able to show her feelings and everything does she not seem like one of the most strong badass people in the show And Robin's right up there, too. Like, Mm -hmm. I loved the two of them at the asylum. (laughs) Yes. Man, it's it's just awesome. But like, I would have hoped by now, though, uh, that Nancy would have gotten a little bit bit better at lying on the spot. Because all three seasons, she goes somewhere and she has to lie a little bit to get in to see this person or access that. And she kind of has a fumbly moment and then Robin, you know, in, in season four, but then Robin takes over and does an amazing job. Good job, Robin. I know. I love her so much. I, know. I really do. <laughs> but yeah, but I, like, I, I love Nancy. I think she has been a strong female character, a good final girl since day one. Since season I, one. Yeah. I love that she's not the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I'm really glad they didn't go with that trope. She's the one that's got guns in her house, you know. Eddie's. I like, was what? shocked by that. Like I, w- I, I shared Eddie's reaction. I was like, <laughs> "What?" 
Well, I was like, well, fuck yeah, she does. Because, yeah, I think, yeah, in season two, when uh, they're, at, they're at Joyce's house, they think, like, the, the demodogs are coming or whatever. But it's really Elle after her little trip to Chicago and meeting her sister. But Hop's like, I think he looks at, like, Jonathan and assumes that, like, he can fire a gun. He's like, can you shoot? And he's like, uh. And Nancy's like, I can. And so Hop tosses her the gun. And she yeah. has been... She's been little Oakley, Oakley, the, Annie really, Oakley, Annie Oakley. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Oh my god! Thank you, <laughs> Oakley Annie. I think <laughs> I was going like phone book rules: last name first, first name last. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, she has been. She's been on top of her fucking game since day one, and I love it. I love it. You she know, doesn't back down. She follows her hunches, no matter how slim of a shot it may seem. Since day one. At first in season one, I I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about her character, right? Mm -hmm. Because she seemed like the the uppity, preppy, my parents are somewhat well-off kind of Mm -hmm. person, right? Miss Popular, all that. But damn, I really like her. Um, The the thing that got me about the gun in the house, though, I'm like, don't you have like a a little kid sister? I hope you lock that thing up. And of course not, because it's the 80s. No. But she does know where her guns are in the house because she's she even told Eddie, you know, when they're in the upside down and she's like, well, they should be here. And he's like, well, maybe there's somewhere else. She's like, there's a six year old in the house. I know where my guns are. It's like, well, good for you. It's like, yeah, they're yeah, probably so not I'm, locked up, but at least you know where they're at. I'm glad she addressed that. Yeah. But yeah, she's she's great. And I'm I'm loving I'm loving the rekindling between her and Steve. I was just going to say, what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, the Nancy and Steve possibly, hook, you know, falling back in love and the separation of her and possible separation of her and Jonathan. I was never a huge fan of, of Nancy and Jonathan. I'm not really a huge fan of Jonathan. Like, you know, he's the protective older brother, all that stuff, like you said, and I can empathize with that. I can appreciate that. But I just, I don't like them together. It seems toxic. And it it seemed that way in season three. And now that they're distancing themselves from each other, it only reinforces that for me. Mm -hmm. Now, Steve and Nancy in season one, well, they both weren't in, you know, the same place of maturity, respectively, that they are now. So it makes sense that that didn't work at that point in time, considering... Nancy matured a bit faster than Steve did, but now that they've had these experiences and they've both come through in the clutch in their own way, they don't play any games with each other, you know, they've just got each other's backs. I'm like, yeah, this, this works. Mm -hmm. I would like to see, you know, if, if Nancy had to choose Jonathan or Steve, I would hope Nancy chooses herself. Well, because yes, she's she's done. She's done both of them. So why not just take a little time and, and just, you know, figure your shit out? Yeah, and, and that's that's a valid option, too. I feel like the way that the story is playing out, I feel like she is figuring that out mm-hmm. right now and she's not voicing it. Yeah. So like. I'm not too upset by by that plot line. So I think, you know, if she was figuring it out, she's just like, you know what? 
nope. I'd be like, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if she absolutely had to choose between Jonathan or Steve at this point in their all their in their in her life, I think absolutely give Steve another chance. Um, you know, because you look back and it's like her and Jonathan's relationship was nothing but shared trauma. Uh huh. That's you what know? I mean. It's toxic. And it's like I think that's even addressed in, in like season two or three. Uh, I think maybe season two when they stay at Murray's house. Yep. And, but, but her and Steve, that was before everything went to shit. So there was an actual attraction there, an actual draw to each other that wasn't based in a toxic, traumatic event. Right. And now that, but, and now that they've also shared trauma as well from the last few years, there's just i think more their relationship wise yeah but where she is with and with jonathan at least in this point you also have to recognize too that as individuals i think nancy and steve are doing better at dealing with their traumatic experiences in a healthy way none of them are perfect steve's still gonna have steve flaws and nancy's still gonna have her flaws and jonathan obviously still has his but I think that's the point of those three. If there is any character that needs to choose themselves, it's Jonathan. Mm-hmm. So he, sh- he should be the one to be like, you know what? I'm out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jonathan definitely needs to choose Argyle. <laughs> Argyle's got a, a, a love interest, remember? Yes, Eden, and I love her and her Ali Sheedy Breakfast Club look. Like, oh my 100%, god, yeah. like a little mini Ali Sheedy. I fucking loved all of it. And I, will to do see... a, I will do anything for you. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> they were so cute. And I loved seeing Susie's wild ass family. Very what was going on there? I'm not sure, but I loved, I think out of all the other kids running around, the little mini John Waters looking director kin loved Hilarious. him the most. Hilarious, yeah. Loved him the most. Uh, <laughs> not just because I love John Waters, but okay, maybe that's solely it. But even Timmy was like, is that kid think he's the one director of weird movies with a thin mustache? <laughs> and I was like, yes, John Waters, very good, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's adorable. <laughs> But yeah, I think Dustin and and Susie still make a cute long distance couple. They do. Her and her her dusty buns. (laughs) With all of the interesting, like, I don't know, almost like Home Alone type stuff that those kids were doing and everything. That whole like scene, uh, it got to me in a way that I, I wasn't expecting, didn't want. And I'm like, I hate that I'm such a nerd now. Because, <laughs> you know, they trick, well, one, they trick Susie into, into helping them when I, I feel like at this point, could they not just be honest with her? And two, um, she helps them in a way that's impossible. <laughs> All right, here we go. So, yeah, she's talking about IP addresses and hacking and whatnot. IP address parts feasible. TCIP protocol existed at that point in time, 1986, if we don't remember. But the internet as we know it, 
even in its most primitive form, did not exist until the early 90s. The World Wide Web did not exist until a couple of years later. So like there was some networking involved and everything. But she is using programming languages that did not exist in order to do that. And I'm just like, this is impossible. This this can't happen. Why? <laughs> I literally paused the episode just to like incoherently babble about, no, this isn't right. <laughs> oh to, the point, to the point where Aaron, my husband, he's like, I'm looking this up now. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, I think you're pulling this out of proportion. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, you know how appreciative I was of like real hacking in, in Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like, if this wasn't set in 1986, I would be like, cool. But this is set in 1986. <laughs> not cool. <laughs> he should not be able to do this yet. Like and like then I'm like wait maybe their 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 explanation for this would be like well it just wasn't known to the world yet like and then like well then what kind of job does her dad have again right <laughs> that was kind of my takeaway was I did I did kind of question like how accurate is the is the lingo being used here and oh, also gosh. and also yeah if it was you know, if the internet was still in its infancy to the point where only a handful of people had access or aware of it, yeah, what does her dad do? I thought they were, like, Mormons? And that's not to say, I don't know shit about Mormons, so I don't know <laughs> what I kind of know. shit they could get into where her dad would have had access to the internet in 86 or any yeah. version of it. And just sitting there in his whole office, totally unsecured. I'm like, come on. This is... No, no. But I loved, I loved Susie's little hacking and everything. I loved the bullshit lie that they told her about. Nintendo. American, American Tendo. <laughs> <laughs> just oh. the first dumb thing that came out of Argyle's mouth and they were forced to roll with it. Even the exasperated look on Mike's face of, uh, yeah, American Tendo. <laughs> Cracked me up. Argyle was great. Like, he had the appropriate responses to, like, everything going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, is this a party? Whoa, no, this is not a party. What's going on here? Oh, my God, I'm freaking out. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> yes, again, these new friends of of this little group. It's like... Yeah, Argyle comes up thinking he's delivering a pizza and pulls up to a full-blown fucking military secret agent FBI shootout. And they're yelling at him, go, go, go. And he's just like, what? Oh, yeah, right. I can do that. (laughs) Oh, so I'm going to be really sad if we lose Argyle next half of the season or at any point. So I really hope that doesn't happen. Unless he rides off majestically into the sunset with his Eden. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that would be sweet. That would be sweet. I, that's the only ending for Argyle I will accept. Uh, man. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, Lucas. I love Lucas so much. And I do feel for him because he doesn't want to be a nerd. He doesn't want to be picked on and bullied anymore. So he's trying so hard to like 
move away from that, like kind of distance himself from that. But you can't really do that and keep your friends. Not to say that he's losing his friends, but that's definitely put that kind of wedge between them. He's off running around with like the jocks and Captain Proud Boy. And they're they're basically hunting his friends, you know, because they're off looking for Eddie and Dustin and shit. And I I just I love Lucas and I I understand where he's at, but hopefully he doesn't stray too far from home now. <laughs> he stays with Max and his original group of friends and hopefully he realizes that staying with them is more important than not being labeled a nerd or being cool, you know, just trying to be cool. Yeah, but, you know, I did really like how the show weaved in, like, normal teenage angst and, and desires and everything with with the backdrop of everything that they've been through. Mm-hmm. Like, ultimately, he's at a crossroads there, and he makes the right choice. But yeah. I think it was appropriate that he struggled with it. Yeah. I mean, when you're the championship game winning hero and you've got a chance to move away from being bullied after you've been bullied your whole life it's gonna look mighty tempting even if it doesn't feel right exactly and you know 80s bullies were the fucking worst yeah uh probably i mean i was i was born in 86 so i don't really remember (laughs) i mean i'm sure bullying has always been you know obviously bullying's always been terrible but you know, definitely what we see depicted of 80s bullies, they were the fucking worst. I think, like, because they got 80s, away with it. 80s, early 90s, kids got away with a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, your parents really didn't know where you were half the time. Nope. <laughs> and you didn't, sometimes you didn't know that your parent was off in Alaska slash Russia. So, yeah. I did like how, like, Murray's whole kind of defending Joyce's decision to not tell the kids about Hop. You know, he's like, well, your kids like to get involved. So just let them not get involved, you know, completely unaware. Of like the they're getting involved anyway. Exactly. So it's kind of fair, I guess. But at the same time, I don't know. As much as I love Murray this season, when you have Murray backing you up, then maybe, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you go, wait a sec. I think my compass might be a little off. Yeah. (laughs) So, Dustin, how can you never not love Dustin and his random son of a bitch? And now he's got uh, two older teen boys that he looks up to. And they have a nice little moment of being like, well, I was a little jealous. And I know. (laughs) How cute was that? (laughs) He's got... Dustin has his uh, own my two dads. And that kid are. drives me crazy, but I was a little jealous that, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just, oh. <laughs> yeah, I love them. I love them all. I do want to say real quick with regards to the parents, uh, other than Tim relating to Ted on a deep, soulful level, especially the <laughs> so basically, basically the parts when Ted's like, get out of my house, stop eating my food, get out of my house. <laughs> You know, because meanwhile, you've got Karen that's like, you kids are welcome anytime. That's totally going to be us. Already <laughs> pissed off about it. But did you get a sense, especially in this last episode, that maybe the parents are kind of building up to their own little, uh, I don't know, their own fight or some sort of culmination with the parents actually getting involved somehow? Here's the the thing with that. 
I think they're going to try and get involved when it's far too late, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to try and get involved without being properly informed and about what they're really getting into. And they're the ones that are going to end up like cannon fodder, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's what I'm seeing. And I, ugh, I, I hope I'm wrong to some extent, like, especially with Mike's parents, um, okay, I wouldn't be too sad if his dad bit it, but like they got a six-year-old, you know, right? Uh, a very naive six-year-old at, at that. Um, so it's like that kid's got no idea what's going on. She's just like, la 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 la, life is great. <laughs> I have a light bright. <laughs> <laughs> Give me it back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a nostalgia moment over the light bright though. Like, oh, yeah! me too. I loved it. I love that this season, instead of Christmas lights or anything like that, it was the light bright. I loved it. I was like, yay. I still remember the jingle and everything. And I'm just like, oh God, this is like bringing back memories. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I know. Uh, but like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see this ending well for them. I really hope, as you call Jason, Captain Proudboy, I hope he gets what he deserves. Like, on the one hand, I feel for him because, you know, like his his girlfriend was killed horribly and, uh, you know, he doesn't have any evidence to support the outlandishness that is the upside down. So he really does think someone's murdered her and all that. But like that, oh, that speech he gave in the community center, the town meeting, mm-hmm. uh but also one other thing with the parents okay dustin's mom is that overprotective type but like completely unable to enforce it mm-hmm. like and i love the fact that you know they're very open about dustin's like physical differences limitations whatever like i have no collarbones and all that kind of stuff and he's just still like yeah whatever mom yeah <laughs> Like, thank you for not making it about, you know, him being in more danger than the others. Right. Like, he comes off as, like, uh, just a know-it-all, you know? Yeah. But he's he's totally capable, and the show's always focused on that, but she's like, oh, no, my poor little baby, you know, my, my poor fragile little baby. I'm just like, yeah, I know that kind of parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do love, I love Dustin's mom. So I hope she's okay. She doesn't deserve anything to have happen she's, to her. She's too nice. She's too nice. She already lost her cat in season two. But I don't want the Sinclair's parents to eat it either. I Me mean, come either. on. I Look know. at the kids they raised. Those are good kids. Those and, are good kids. Wow, Erica. Wow. <laughs> like, so. duh, they're lying to you. The whole couch is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like it's not Erica. helping. It's kind of helping. <laughs> so, all right. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit about Jason, Evil Kendall, Captain Proud Boy. I will say that <sighs> I I am really enjoying the uh, added kind of that uh, the satanic panic layer of uh, of this season. Yeah, now, it's appropriate. It is appropriate. And, but the one thing that it's so, it's so typical, you know, Jason, he doesn't believe in this supernatural bullshit, 
but he believes in Jesus and the devil, and he thinks Eddie is the conduit for the devil, and that's how they killed, and that's how they lost their, one of his little jock buddies. Yeah, hypocrite much? Yeah, and I'm just like, dude, you, how could you fucking think that? How could you possibly think that? He, he, not that he comes across logical or anything, but yeah, he's got like, oh, I don't believe in that supernatural shit. And then here you are spouting off about how it's supernatural shit. Fucking pick a lane, bro. But I, I, but I do like that, again, this kind of layer with the satanic panic and how uh, Jason is using it to get the town fired up. The one yep. police officer, uh, I can't remember the mustached one. He has the moment in the car with the chief and he's just like, they're hunting kids. Like he's appropriately mad and he's appropriately loud about it. Because yeah. he is absolutely fucking right that after Jason's little fucking clan rally speech and they all get up and leave and the one fucking redneck's like, you heard the kid. Dude, listen to the words that just came out of your mouth. You heard the kid. You're going to listen to a fucking child. Are you serious? And they all go off looking for Eddie, who is also just a child. And nobody sees anything, like, none of those town people, townspeople sees anything wrong with that. Now, I don't like Jason. I can't wait till he's Vecna. It's going to be, feel so fucking good. But, okay, I wonder what Vecna's going to get him with. Because... Vecna likes to go after people who have real trauma in their lives. What's Jason's trauma? I want to know. Like, how do you get that fucked up? Do you get that fucked up from having a perfect life? Or, like... See, I don't know. Because, you know, we there's always an absence of parenting and, and parental supervision in this series. You know, God bless the 80s and, you know, them being true in that sense. But I really kind of wonder if it's something related to his family to his parents well i do too because you know there was that one scene where vecna was like plugging in or whatever the heck he does mm-hmm. um totally matrixy by the way <laughs> matrixy that's his cerebro <laughs> i know and like he's going through the the people's minds before he gets to the that other jock kid mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, no, not that one, not not traumatized enough, not that one, not that one. And then boom, yes, perfect. Like, you know, and when Vecna's, you know, doing his whole reveal thing, like I'm one, I'm Vecna, I'm everything. He he talks about spiders and being a predator and all that. And he is very much a predator. Like, would he see Jason as a predator, a tool for his use, or is he actually like is this another trauma person I can enjoy killing? Like, what if Jason becomes the new lieutenant? Like, Billy was the the lieutenant, the mouthpiece for the Mind Flayer. Mm-hmm. Is Jason going to be Vecna's on the other side? See, Does I Vecna that, even need that? See, I, I don't thought know. about that. And I was like, well, that, you know, to turn Jason into, you know, a mouthpiece for Vecna or for the Upside Down in any way, I'm like, that's too much like the last season. They they can't do that. They just have, they just should just kill Jason off and be done with it. Yeah. If they're going to kill Chrissy, I mean. Yeah. Come on. And that little, and the little Freddy kid, the super skinny, 
And that's the other thing is we're only getting glimpses of these other people's traumas. And it's obviously being played up by Vecna. But it's like, dude, what happened with Freddy? You know, he feels responsible for some fiery car crash or something. But it's wasn't like, that a car crash that occurred in, in the third season? Was it? I, I don't didn't it, didn't it have something to do with the culmination of that season? I, I don't remember. I I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't able to finish. I really wanted to finish all the seasons before today. It's okay. It's just, I, I really maybe. thought it, it was from that because it looked familiar, you know? Yeah. And it, it might've been, and it's, it's been a while since I've rewatched, but cause there are, you know, there's always points where you're just like, am I supposed to know this person? Am I supposed to remember this? Cause I don't, because it's been so long. Yeah. So, uh, but man, maybe Freddie yeah. was like, get rid of Jonathan, get rid of Jonathan. Get like, that was like <laughs> every other line. Oh, I know. I love him. Just kind of trying to go for it. You got to Shoot your shot, kiddo. Shoot your shot. I love it. I appreciate it so, so much. So, but yeah, Jason, I I can't wait till you die, my man. You are the fucking worst. <laughs> Hats off to the actor for doing such a great job. I always feel like I should congratulate an actor for doing a really good job of getting me to hate their character. For sure. So I just had a thought, though. Like, Vecna said something about how like with each person he kills he kind of like absorbs their strength you know like he said even when he was he killed his family it made him stronger you know and he should have finished his dad off and all that like it surprises me that he doesn't go after stronger people to get stronger faster but also um when him and l or 11 whatever had that the confrontation when she was a little kid that ultimately ended with her opening the upside down and pushing him through it he was winning and then instead of focusing on the memories that made her angry she had that feeling of like love Mm -hmm. and that overcame this so you know that seems like a huge bit of foreshadowing for me oh yeah as to how they're like ultimately going to get through this, however battered, bruised, and diminished they end up being. But I'm curious to see how that plays out. Like, I, I'm worried because I'm just so mad at Mike right now that like the moment is going to be him saying, I love you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I don't want that. Yeah. Oh, it's going to happen though. You just know it. And it's like, you know, in witnessing all of that, that kind of final showdown between little L and big one, (laughs) Uh, one. (laughs) you know, that just to me shows that she is the most powerful and always has been and will be uh, once we get into the next half of the season. So because she took out one who was basically self-trained, self-taught, self, you know, pushed himself to his limits to near Mm -hmm. death. Uh, And, but she's the one at, at that younger age was able to stop him and take him out. And I, it's been really interesting to go back and watch season one after, after this first half of season four, you know, because Elle doesn't remember anything. 
you know, and we only see Hawkins lab and we only see her as being the one that Brenner is testing on. Cause as far as we know, at that point, she is the only other one alive in the, that survived the attack at the lab. So, but then, yeah, just not remember and seeing how like this memory loss has played into her not reaching her full potential and all of that. So it's been, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed rewatching the series and it just kind of, it's been a lot of fun and kind of, I just, I love watching something with new information and like kind of that new set of eyes, so to speak. I love it. And I'm super excited for, for part two. Right. And this is no different to her, like regaining, you know, her ability to converse again and everything, because Mm -hmm. uh, that was quite the traumatic event. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised she went a bit mute. Yeah. After that. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, we're going to start wrapping this up, but first I, we need to ask you, what would be your anti-Vecna song? So it was Running Up the Hill by Kate Bush for Max. Do you have one? Uh, well, I mean, I could I could go with the classic. There's just so many. But there's a song by Ray LaMontagne that's called Such a Simple Thing. I love that song. It's just, uh, it's a very emotional song. Um, so I feel like that would definitely be able to reach me in a place like that. Nice. Uh, mine would be a Foo Fighters song, shocking no one. No one. <laughs> and it would be the song Walk, because I love that okay. song. And when you look at the lyrics, it totally fits. And when I've been listening to the song, <laughs> I picture myself running just like Max <laughs> to the song called Walk. But, you know, at one point in the song, he's running through the fire. He's dancing on his grave. Anyway. All right. So we've kind of theorized a little bit uh, here and there about what the part two could bring. Do you have any other theories for for part two or anything you would like to see or anything you definitely would hate to see? Uh, Like I said, I would hate to see Steve or Robin die. I just I can't. I like that would hurt too much they're just great you know I don't know I I kind of I have a feeling that season four is going to end with Vecna having the upper hand you know I feel like something really bad is going to happen and they're going to have to overcome that and I think that I don't well I don't think that their plot lines are going to completely converge at the end of season four I think like they're all going to come together at that moment where it's just too late, you know, mm-hmm. before something bad happens. And then they got to pick up the pieces and regroup and, and, you know, make it work kind of like a post snap type thing. Sure. I don't want to see, uh, you know, the, the town turn into an angry mob that is actually persecuting children. I, I'm hoping that that de-escalates before that becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really wanting this, this military Cold War Russian plot line to have a good point because I kind of can't stand it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we just see that as another unnecessary thread pulling people in the wrong direction or making more enemies and then there needs to be 
uh, I, I think that's gonna that's gonna be where I'm gonna be upset. Fair enough. Well, I other than not wanting to see certain characters die, you know, like you, Steve, Robin, probably Erica. Erica, yeah. I mean, I really, I don't want to lose any of the children. I've all my children are all grown up and they're doing wonderful, <laughs> and I don't True, want anything yeah. happen to them. I really think Lucas is gonna die, though. I'm afraid. I I really hope not. You know, and we're left with the cliffhanger of Nancy being mid Vecna, and or like Will sacrificing himself for Mike. Yeah, I don't want to. Uh... No. But I want I want something good for Will, god damn it, be it a new haircut. <laughs> Come out and live to the end of the series. That'd be fucking nice too. Just something good for this kid. This poor fucking kid. Uh, he's this uh, he's just done nothing but break my heart. I know. For three and a half seasons. And I'm it i'm i'm just i'm ready for good things for him so if, if one of the kids has to go i want i i hope it's mike yeah i'll, I'll sorry sacrifice mike. I mean, but like if he if he does back. something selfless and sacrifices himself for them that's his redemption arc right because he's been a dick <laughs> i have not really enjoyed mike you know watching mike this season it's been it's been really annoying and then it makes it that much harder to like his character in earlier seasons. Cause I'm like, I know you grow up to be a little shit, <laughs> but you know, I can't help but think that like Max was saved and Max and Lucas are kind of patching things up. I just feel like, you know, it's setting up for that. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I could absolutely see that. So Otherwise, I'm just not a whole lot of theories. I've seen things here and there, uh, you know, on the internet, but I'm just, I'm excited. I cannot fucking wait. The trailer makes me so nervous. Right. And also makes me so excited. So, all right, well, we will go ahead and move on to Stray Bubbles. Any other Stray Bubbles, anything else you want to get out that uh, we didn't get a chance to um well you know we talked about kate bush's song and it's just it's really fun how that's blown up mm -hmm. uh so so many years after it's released it's like that uh back to the future thing <laughs> your kids are gonna love it yeah yeah that meme has i mean it there's no more perfect meme for the song so right but yeah it, you know i hearing snippets of it in the show it definitely is a song that appeals to me like i like that certain 80s vibe you know mm -hmm. um but i didn't like properly sit and listen to it until after i finished watching and then you know the slight chorus change at the end i accidentally interpreted it literally and it like brought me back to my childhood <laughs> where i wish i could swap places with my able-bodied twin brother and i'm just like oh i can't listen to this song anymore <laughs> So you go running up that hill with no problems. No problems. <laughs> running up a building. Oh, man. Oh, I love what Stranger Things has done for 80s music uh -huh. and just kind of rekindling 
just a lot of these songs and artists and even the way that the music is used in the series. I love it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm glad that younger generations are getting familiar with 80s music because there was a lot of good stuff out there. There was a lot of shit, but I think that can be said for any time period in any form of media and entertainment. So good job, Duffer Brothers. Yeah. Um, I also love that like a show like this or even the Batman with the, you know, way that it was done. It's made horror more approachable for a broader audience. It just, it makes it more fun. It does. I just, I mean, music is great in that sense and the way it just adds to anything. Yeah. You know, be it good or bad, the way that it just helps set the tone and helps set that feeling and that vibe and everything or puts you in that mindset. So powerful. And we see the power of music in this season with the uh, use of Ella Fitzgerald Dream a Little Dream. And yeah, what a good song, by the way. What a great song. And it's funny because between there was this show, uh, The Boys, the first episode of this latest season of The Boys, Kimiko sings it a little bit. Uh, oh, I love that scene. I loved that scene. And then it showed up in season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So I'm just like, these are three shows that I watched in a very short amount of time. And so it's very very odd that this that this song has appeared in three random ass shows that I just happened to watch all within you know several weeks of each other so I'm reading way too much into that now thank you very much maybe or maybe that's <laughs> just a sign of great tv but like I thought this song. yeah I thought this song was okay I thought it was a low-key funny joke in, in Stranger Things sure yeah yeah because you've got Freddy Krueger. Yep. And his song is Dream a Little Dream of Me. I mean, yep. like, come on, it's right yep. there. It's all on the nose. It's yep. all on the nose. There's so many, like, Nightmare on Elm Street vibes in this season. From Chrissy's ceiling death, mirroring, you know, in a sense, like, Tina's ceiling death. And then yep. Eddie running out of the trailer, like, uh, I think it was Rod was her boyfriend, running out of the house. And yep. hiding out and trying and trying to hold out for to be claimed innocent and that unfortunately doesn't happen in <laughs> nightmare but so Maybe okay, now that makes eddie. me really oh. nervous for eddie though <laughs> oh no what have we done what have we done <laughs> shit i said it out loud one thing i i love that uh you know victor creel he's in the penhurst asylum a great name so which is inspired by the penhurst state school in pennsylvania which was originally and has since been shut down because it's it treated its patients like shit. It's also a very popular haunting spot to go ghost hunting and, and whatnot. But it was originally called the Eastern State Institution for the Feeble Minded and Epileptic. Ah, uh, yeah. So that was just a really long name. The Forgetting Will's Birthday in the series. Heart heart wrenching, right? The Duffer brothers apparently came out and have admitted that they straight up forgot that <laughs> when Will's birthday was. Again, hashtag poor Will. Hashtag poor Will. <laughs> oh, I think that was fucking hilarious. I think, and I personally think they should have just not copped to it and just continued to roll with that everyone in 
all the characters in the show forgot that it was Will's birthday. I, I just, yeah. either way, it's entertaining as fuck, and I love it so much. <laughs> all right, let's see. Um, oh, and the disrespect to Benny's place. I do not like that. Justice for Benny since day fucking one. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's going to be about it. So we will go ahead and move on to the six degrees of Nicolas Cage. All right. So are you ready? I, I, I feel I feel like I didn't do a good job with this one, but it, it's it's a tenuous connection. So as we know, and I'm, I'm not sure if Nicolas Cage would like us to remember this, but he was the star in Ghost Rider, a movie that uh, young kids seem to love more than they should. And you rewatch it with them and you're like, what is this hot garbage? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, well, there's rumors going around that the Duffer brothers are going to be involved in a reboot. And I don't know if that means that it will still involve Nicolas Cage or not, but it definitely tenuously ties him to Stranger Things. Mm, That's kind of thin, but I'll allow it. Only because it's unconfirmed. Mm -hmm. You get a half point. Woo! Woo! All right. Um, well, I have three. Jeez. <laughs> I didn't need to do my homework. She did it all. <laughs> you can copy off mine. It's fine. <laughs> all right. So my first one, I decided I wanted to start with Ted, played by Joe Trust. He was in the movie Seeking Justice with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then I'm I just... sorry. I'm just picturing him as Ted in a movie with, <laughs> with Nicolas Cage being his cagey best. Oh, odd couple. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go watch Seeking Justice now. So just so I can, you know, do a little Ted sighting. Uh... <laughs> oh my god, it's like binoculars. <laughs> I didn't even write down like the character's name, like what character he played in it. So he could have been an extra, you know, just like coffee shop customer number six or some bullshit. So I have no idea. Um, All right. So then I decided to go Millie Bobby Brown, who plays our dear 11. She was, I feel like I could have gotten there in a fewer steps, but this is the way I, this is the route I took. So she was in Godzilla, King of the Monsters with Bradley Whitford, uh, who was in the movie Get Out. And as if you've seen Get Out, uh, Bradley's character would have voted for Obama for a third term if he could, <laughs> which is just, I'm sorry, that line always cracks me up. And that scary-ass movie, that is the funniest line. But also starring in the movie Get Out is Daniel Kalua. Uh, he was in the movie Kick-Ass 2. He played the character uh, Black Death. And Kick-Ass stars uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson as Kick-Ass, who was then, of course, in the first movie, Kick-Ass, with Nicolas Cage. Right. He's her father, right? Yeah. He plays, like, Big Daddy, the very Batman-esque looking uh, crime fighter hero type. Yeah. So. Something like that. 
And the third thing, the third way I went was I started with our dear Hopper, David Harbour, who was in Suicide Squad, the bad one, uh, with Ike Barinholtz, who was also in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent with Nicolas Cage. Ah, that's a nice short one. Yeah. So, and then Timmy and I just watched that movie last night, Unbearable Weight, because he hadn't seen it yet. And I am happy to report that he did absolutely love it. As he I did. need to watch it still. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I can't I believe I'm saying that. but you know. <laughs> It's so good. You're just going to smile the whole time. I promise. I promise you're going to have nothing but fun. Look, Pig good really fun. changed things for me. What can I say? Mm-hmm. You're welcome. So, all right. Well, what's been streaming in your bubble? Well, like you, other than watching Stranger Things, we've been watching The Boys as well as Obi-Wan. And I really want to Photoshop that so that the title screen says when Obi-Wan fought Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best quotes from this podcast yet was when Laura asked when Obi-Wan fought Kenobi. Oh, that was the funniest shit. I love it so much. Oh. We 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 need to make merchandise out of that, but you know, we gotta get more people to listen to it and get them jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed Obi-Wan. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think it makes, you know, uh a new hope that much special, more special and interesting to watch. Again, it's kind of like watching this first half of season four of Stranger Things and then going back and rewatching everything from the beginning and kind of seeing how it all ties into each other now and how it kind of fills in some of the blanks. Mm-hmm. I had a blast with it. I, I loved it to pieces. So, Well, I really enjoyed young Leia. Me um, too. And other than that, I, I enjoyed the grifter, the fake Jedi. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. God, that's great. But also... I enjoyed Hayden Christensen being a legit badass, super violent Vader. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is what we wanted out of those prequels, not not what we got. So I feel like Vader has been redeemed a bit because I feel like those prequel movies unintentionally diminished Vader's reputation. So I enjoyed it for that. Other than that, uh, you know, the third sister i loved her character very mm-hmm. much Reva. she was great yeah but yeah it was it was good i didn't know what to expect of it you know it's it's always a a difficult thing when you get a prequel that you know like those moments of suspense are so manufactured because you know that this is not where they die it is not yet their time like yep. you know uh but it worked um i enjoyed it more than i thought i would uh now the boys i knew how much i was gonna enjoy that one <laughs> i fucking love this show so much yeah i do too and i'm like after the the latest episode hero gasm i was like oh the show's gonna be ending soon there's only like eight episodes normally uh man i'm not ready for that mm-hmm. <laughs> just yet that was oh my god it's been i i love the boys it's been so much i just i love it and 
I will be back to cover the season eventually. Uh, obviously, want to finish. It needs to end, and I would like to get a rewatch in. But holy shit, that first episode, that first fifteen minutes, my god. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm really, but like, I'm really loving Frenchie and Kimiko's storyline. Like, yes. they're my favorite of Butcher's Boys. team. Yeah. <laughs> but like oh, okay so there's this thing about that show that I just can't like get out of my head all right so somewhere along the lines I read the information that like it, it I don't know if it was like just a passing headline or what but the guy who plays the deep his sister is married to Tony Romo and I'm like oh man oh man those kids seeing their uncle in that context like how weird is that yeah but yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so I'm like um I really hate that I know that yeah I'm sorry you know that I'm sorry I I know that now (laughs) I know I know because it's good it's gonna stick with you you're like oh 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 yeah, I love I love the boys. So yep, like you stand current on that. Like you, we've watched uh Obi-Wan and that was a lot of like I said, a lot of fun. Started on Miss Marvel. So I got the first episode in, watched that with the kids. They really I know that they really liked initial like right off the bat, kind of that added animation to Mm -hmm. the series um to the live action where it's it's got that mitchell's versus the machine vibe to it you got the animation kind of going on in the background helping to tell the story and whatnot and it's just it makes it that much more fun so really enjoyed that first episode and kind of waiting for a few more episodes to come out so i can just sit and do a proper binge right absorb it all in at one time um Let's see what else. Yeah, we watched Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, I do need to watch um, the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. So I'm hoping to get that in today. Uh, I'm so annoyed by that movie. Oh, no. Okay, stop. I gotta watch it. Ah! Anyways. I'm not gonna say anything else. I know, I know. <laughs> I can but keep this awkward like... silence going as long as you watch. <laughs> But now it's like, now I'm going to sit there and think, like, what part is going to annoy her? So I'm going to see if I can figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll shoot you a text. (laughs) Okay, please do. Like, live live message me. It would be great. Okay. Eric has seen this too, right? He's seen. Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll message you guys while I watch. I don't think he agrees with me, which seems to be the the way we we are on some things. But hey, that's all good. No, it's great because you'll get both perspectives. That's right. And then me who can't make a decision and overthinks things, I'm like, you both are right. <laughs> you both have great points. On to the next bullet point. I'm right. And, and here's why. In this essay, I will. Like, you know. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. So. Before we officially leave, uh, Laura and I just kind of want to throw out there real quick that uh, we will be, I I will have to skip a weekend of recording likely because Laura and I are going to be volunteering for this uh, 
kind of local event, but it does happen across the country. It's called Fishing with No Boundaries. And I probably should have pulled up the proper little description from the website, but basically it's a an event for people of all ages, races, and abilities to spend a day fishing. So I am not one to help with bait or help people get in and out of boats because I can barely get in and out of a boat. Yeah, same. So we will be in the kitchen. <laughs> which I'm more than fine with. And uh, I, I assume putting together lunches and, and stuff like that. But Oh my God, we can pretend we're on Nailed It. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I actually had more of like a Laverne and Shirley <laughs> kind of moment. I was like, oh God. <laughs> can we get matching jackets like they have in the intro of that show? Yes. You need one with the big old L, obviously. 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 <laughs> We can't really go skipping in, right, to the Schlemiel, Schlemazel, lots of effort incorporated. No, but if you can walk like me, we could do that. <laughs> We've already established that I can't walk like you, so we can try the other way around. All right, all right. I'll do a zombie walk. I'll take points from your kids and just be like, okay, if I need yeah, to try to walk like, like a zombie. Yeah, lessons. <laughs> We joke, but we are going to uh, uh, volunteer for this event. Very excited. So we'll we'll report back with how that all went. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty pumped. So. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, that is it for us today. So thank you, Laura, for being tolerated today. I appreciate that. Thanks you, for tolerating me. You know I love tolerating you. You're one of my favorite people to tolerate. <laughs> hashtag tolerable <laughs> life goals <laughs> all right and thank you bubblies for listening today and keep streaming bye bye if you're enjoying this podcast be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix follow me on twitter at streaming bubble find me on facebook and instagram as my streaming bubble have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming. So we'll have to figure out then when we'll come back for part two. So well, that won't take us long, will it? It's I like two episodes, right? Is it only the two? I, I haven't really looked ahead because I'm trying to not take in too much so I can still be surprised and all of that. But I should probably see... Because if it is only two episodes, that's going to make me sad. Yeah, I feel like I read somewhere that it was two more episodes. But that might just be, be me, you know, like part two, two episodes. That or that makes sense because twos. Okay, so let's see. So, well, IMDb is only showing two episodes right now. Like the eighth episode is, called, is just simply called Papa. 
and mm. there is no other information not even a runtime chapter nine called the piggyback is got a runtime of two hours and 19 minutes so it that's might gotta be, that's gotta be the finale it looks like it is just gonna be the two well um interesting so oh well i guess that's okay then that it's only two episodes but long ones yeah i'm okay with that it's so funny because timmy is not okay with the longer episodes just because he doesn't have the time to watch like a full hour plus you know what since you're watching it ahead of him you should like um find break points for him oh that's a good idea that would be the nice thing to do we'll see yeah that would that would be the nice thing you say that like you're not gonna do it (laughs) 